we have 1,200 Hoosier soldiers in the Middle East right now, 650 of them sitting on a base in Iraq, and their safety is less sure today than it was a week ago, and I hate to see that. Stay tuned, that's just part of what's ahead in our bonus content following this week's edition of In Focus. Exploring the issues that matter most in Indiana, this is In Focus with Dan Spieler. A lot of developments this week in the nation's capital. We could be inching closer toward an impeachment trial in the Senate with the House nearly set to finally send the impeachment articles. We're also getting reaction today from Indiana lawmakers after a week full of conflict with Iran and several military strikes in the Middle East. So what happens next? This week I spoke with Indiana Senator Mike Braun. I was glad President Trump used restraint. I was also glad that when he did do something, it was done to where it changes the paradigm so that a rogue nation like Iran has got to know that behavior that's outside the norm across the rest of the world has to be held accountable. The administration conducted a provocative, disproportionate airstrike uh, against Iran, which endangered Americans, and did so without consulting Congress. We continue to receive word that Iran is standing down, but at the president's direction, we're going to remain vigilant. Are you concerned we could see more attacks? And, and, and how did you feel about the president's tweet suggesting we target cultural sites in Iran? Well, I think that uh, the, pres the president has a style of his own, and when you do something like that, which he kind of, uh, uh, you know, modified a bit, uh, I look at the essence of what happens. I look at the fact that we did tolerate four instances. The final one, when it, when it involved a life being taken, was that red line that was crossed. And I do think, with our military strength, and the fact that we're defensive, not offensive, like the Iranians have been, that it was, you know, measured just about right. Soleimani is, has been one of the biggest terrorists on the world stage uh, for 20 years, and the president was right to take out uh, one of the one of uh, the most evil men uh, around the globe um, at this point. We're standing up for America and standing up for the United States, and he's shown great restraint, and yet given uh, Iran the opportunity to, to have an offshoot or an exit if they want to come and talk. I think at this point it, uh, the administration wants to de-escalate this, uh, as do I hope the Iranians, uh, but the Iranian uh, regime needs to recognize that the United States will defend our citizens, uh, our troops, and those of our allies around the world uh, if we're attacked. Indiana House Republicans there on the Hill speaking with our Trevor Shirley. Congressman Andre Carson issued this statement saying he was proud to vote for the War Powers Resolution. He said the administration's, quote, needless and reckless escalation of tensions has jeopardized American lives and set the world on edge. Well, also a busy week at the Indiana State House as state lawmakers return for this year's legislative session, just days ahead of Governor Holcomb's State of the State address. So what will he have to say on the hot topic of education and teacher pay? Kayla Sullivan has the latest. Defeated for now, but more teacher pay increase amendments are expected this session. I'm sure we'll get the chance to debate it. House Speaker Brian Bosma says teacher pay increases are not on the Republican agenda this session. But we will learn more about what's to come for teacher salaries at Governor Eric Holcomb's State of the State address next week. The governor's proposal is going to be outside of this budget year, so he's going to propose a future 
uh, future resolution, which I think is a very wise one. Democrats say now is better. Instead of being the can't-do General Assembly, let's be the can-do General Assembly this year, and let's make sure that teachers get the pay increase. Senate Democrats have two plans to raise teacher pay. One would give $100 million each year for 2019 and 2020 to a teacher appreciation grant. That money would come from the state's surplus. The other proposal would free up $100 million each year from the teacher retirement fund. They can't forget what happened on November 19th on Organization Day when over 15,000 teachers were here. And I'm sure that wasn't just a one-day opportunity. When asked about these teacher pay proposals, Republican State Senator Jeff Rotz didn't say yes or no. Instead, he sent a statement about last session's $763 million increase for education. We got a similar answer from Senate President Pro Tem Roderick Bray Monday. We have seen, I'm happy to report, uh, most school districts across the state from the Ohio River to the Michigan line give teacher pay raises. Democrats say that's not enough. We still have not funded education at the rate of inflation. Republicans plan to reopen the budget to pay for capital projects in cash this session. It's a way to save on interest payments. But Democrats say if the state can reopen the budget for that, it should do it for teachers. Well, which do you think is more important, paying cash down on those type of projects, or is it to make sure that our teachers are fairly paid and that they're done so this year? Kayla Sullivan, Fox 59 News. All right, Kayla, thanks. You can watch the governor's State of the State address right here Tuesday night. We'll have live coverage starting at 7 p.m. Meantime, big news from the campaign trail this week. You saw Senator Eddie Melton there in Kayla's report. This past week, he made a rather surprising announcement that he was dropping out of the race for governor. Senator Melton saying, unfortunately, politics today require way too much of a candidate's time being spent on the phone chasing dollars. As I look to address the issue of education and many other challenges we face, I know my time and energy will be best spent fully engaged in the legislative session. And right now I'm joined by Democratic candidate for governor, Dr. Woody Myers. Thank you so much for being with us Good today. to be back. want to get your reaction first to Senator Melton's withdrawal and this now being, at the moment, a, a two-man race. Well, first of all, I, I complimented the uh, the senator on on running a terrific campaign up until the point he made the decision uh, that uh, he needed to focus on other things. He's a, a great guy, and he has a bright future uh, with the state. It was a, certainly a, a surprise uh, for us. Uh, we had no idea this was coming, uh, but uh, he's uh, he's going to do great things, continue to do great things in his career. Senator Melton uh, really seemed to be speaking pretty vocally on the issue of education in this campaign. You also have another Democratic opponent now, still Josh Owens. How do you make the case to those who were in Senator Melton's camp that you're the candidate for them moving forward? Well, that's what we're trying to do uh, today. I'm uh, talking to folks uh, up in his uh, neck of the woods, up in northwest Indiana. I've been doing that uh, for the last, uh, what, almost six months now, but even more so in the last uh, week. Uh, we've got to get out and make sure that people understand that this issue of education that, that we've been talking about now for six months around the state is the key for the state of Indiana. It's the largest budget issue. Uh, we've got a lot of challenges that we're not meeting. Uh, we have folks around the state who are, are worried about the quality of the education that we're, their kids are getting, folks that are in the teaching profession that are leaving the state. Uh, or leaving the profession altogether. There's just a number of problems that are not adequately addressed. 
So speaking of getting out, getting around the state, there were some reports that Senator Melton was struggling to get the, the signatures needed to get on the ballot in all mm -hmm. of Indiana's congressional districts. And it's reportedly been a struggle for a, a lot of candidates, even the Biden campaign in Indiana, reportedly, according to uh, Importantville's Adam Wren. Are you confident you'll have enough signatures across the state to qualify? We are. We, we are working on that uh, daily. I've got a team of folks that are around the state now making sure uh, that we, we are meeting the deadlines. Uh, Hopefully uh, next week uh, will be a big uh, a week for an announcement for us. We're not 100% sure that we'll have them all done uh, by next week, but we're certainly working on it. Next week, Governor Holcomb delivers his State of the State address. He seemed to hint at the possibility of maybe doing something on the issue of teacher pay. What do you expect to hear from him next you week? Know, I, I really don't know. I, he was adamant uh, a few months ago that there was a commission that he was, had put in place and they were going to make their report over a year from now. And this is a commission that we haven't had any public meetings that I'm aware of. They haven't issued an interim report. We don't really know what they're doing. We really don't know what they're hearing. And uh, it's just an amazing thing to me that this issue, given this issue's importance, that this commission isn't opening its doors so that everyone can figure out what they're hearing and have input. But it isn't. And, and so I'm not exactly sure what he's going to say. Is he going to say that his commission is now uh, going to open its doors so that we can understand what's going on with it? Or is he going to leave them shut? Is he going to re recant on his uh, previous uh, statement that uh, he wasn't going to look at the issue of teacher pay? Is he now going to put a few dollars into that? And if so, where are they going to come from and, and how much and who's going to make the decisions? I don't know what he's going to say, but uh, I, I, I know that the issue demands much more attention than it's getting today at the highest levels of our state. We are uh, making inroads in a lot of different ways, so we're going to keep working uh, in order to make this campaign uh, successful uh, because the, the people that I'm talking to around the state want change. I'm sure we'll talk with you again between now and the primary. Dr. Myers, thank you so much. We appreciate Pleasure to be it. here. Thank you. All right, more of that interview on our website. Candidate Josh Owens also putting out a statement this week on Senator Melton's departure from the race. We'll sit down with Owens on next week's edition of In Focus. Coming up, it's a crowded congressional primary, and it could soon be an even bigger field of candidates in the 5th District. We'll tell you who's thinking of getting in now. And we're just days away from the next presidential debate with less than a month till the Iowa caucus. We'll have the latest on South Bend's former mayor and the other candidates in this crowded race for president next. All right, welcome back to In Focus. I'm joined now by our panel, two former state representatives with us today, Democrat Mary Ann Sullivan, Republican Mike Murphy with us as well, and also joined by Rima Shahid, the Executive Director of Women for Change Indiana, and Tony Samuel, 2016 Vice Chair for the Indiana Trump campaign. All right, so much to talk about here at the state and the national level. Let's start at the State House here. Governor Holcomb delivering the State of the State Address next week. Hinted last week that he, he might announce some sort of action on teacher pay. Speaker Bosma then said, no, it'd still be for next session, which is a budget year. What do you think we'll hear from the governor on Tuesday um, night? I don't know. I'm really eager to hear what he has to say. I'm glad that he is going to be addressing this, um, whether it's next year or this year. I'm really curious to find out um, what he's going to propose. I agree with a lot of my Democrat friends that the proposed use of some of the surplus uh, is probably not going to its highest best use right now, not leveraging the dollars, getting as much bang for the buck as we can. So um, we'd like to see him also propose some things to do in the short run. 
Do you think uh, this uh, being an election year for the governor, Mike, uh, does that affect you, this and the way a speech like this is prepared and it, delivered, it, especially it big policy? It affects everything. Like it affects from when he gets up in the morning to when he goes to bed at night every day until he wins by a landslide in November. Um, I don't know exactly what he's going to say uh, next week, but this will be a no-mistakes session. He has to get in. He has to get out. Bosma's talked about that. No mistakes. Move on to the campaign and whip whether it's Woody Myers or this Josh Owens guy, like a drum, and move on. Uh, what, what do you think we might hear from the governor on Tuesday, Rima? Um, I, too, am eager to hear what he has to say, but I think that the people made it clear November 19th when 15,000 teachers were there that it's high time that Indiana increase teachers' pay. Tony, uh, the governor, obviously, will talk about a number of issues, too, sure. Tuesday. I think regarding teacher pay, the key word will be sustainable, and he said that before, and uh, that's, that means looking at the budget next year doing something that, that makes us one of the highest ranking uh, in pay for teachers, but can, can be done in the long run, not using money now for a bonus uh, when you don't know if you can sustain it uh, over years. Also, he'll be talking about the successes that we've had economically. They're huge, they're, they're numerous. And then looking for the, to the future, one thing that I'm looking for is him to talk about Indiana as a destination with the new, newly uh, formed Indiana Destination Development Corporation headed by Elaine Beadle, who will do a great job. All right, we'll see what the governor has to say on Tuesday night. Talking about the race for governor, though, uh, what about the news this, this past week that Senator Eddie, Eddie Melton is dropping out of the race? Were you guys surprised to, to see that? He has been a, a very vocal advocate on the issue of education. Yeah. I, I was surprised um, just because it kind of seemed to come from out of nowhere. just really hadn't heard a lot, but I guess because I hadn't heard a lot about him, that makes it a little less surprising. Money signatures always a the whole thing. Factor, I, yeah, right? I've only met Eddie once, and he was testifying from in front of a Senate committee. Very articulate guy. I mean, he does have a future in politics, whether it's in North, just Northwest Indiana or statewide. But there are certain mechanics you have to get through in a in a campaign, and obviously he or his team have not mastered those mechanics, and that cuts short the whole campaign. All right, let's also talk about uh, the race for Congress in the, in the 5th District. Already a crowded field of candidates uh, on both sides of the aisle. And we'll show you that here. You've, so many people, you can't even fit them all on the screen here. But now potentially another name thinking about getting in. State Senator Victoria Sparts of Noblesville says she won't run again for her seat in the General Assembly. She's thinking about running for Susan Brooks' seat in Congress, saying, quote, our federal government is broken. A lot of candidates in this race, and Rima, a number of women running for this seat, really, uh, on both sides of the aisle here in the 5th District. Yeah, I think as Women for Change, we always welcome winning re women running. Um, we know that when women run and when women win, we work across the aisle to get things done, so definitely welcome that, but also know that there are now seven Republicans, I believe, and two Democrats in this race, so it's it's a crowded field, to yeah, say the least. No, no doubt about it, and obviously uh, a race that will be closely watched there in uh, suburban Hamilton County. Yeah, and I think most of them, because there are so many, uh, have a shot. You know, it just takes one to rise above to get a, a smaller percentage of votes. Um, Victoria Sparks now has some name ID, having just won the Senate race, so she'll be formidable. Kelly Mitchell, state treasurer as well. What do you guys think about this race? Well, the the video that you showed it looks like <laughs> a Democratic presidential debate or something <laughs> like that. I mean, it's like how many more people can you fit on a stage? Um, I think uh, Victoria Smart's a very smart lady. Um, she, I think, was frustrated inside the caucus, and I think she has a very had a very significant uh, primary opponent lined up against her in Scott Baldwin. Because her legislative district covers a good chunk of the 5th district, she saw it maybe as easier, an easier route to success to run for Congress. 
Now we have some very strong women, including Beth Henderson and Kelly Mitchell in there too. And we have uh, Victoria Christina trying Hale, to get her Dee share Thornton of on attention. the other side. Yeah, Dee yeah. Thornton uh, with a potential question about qualifying for the ballot this past week. Uh, let's also talk about the race for president. You talked about that uh, earlier. Democrats taking the debate stage coming up Tuesday night. Smaller debate stage than it's been in the past, but still a number of candidates. Just three weeks now from the Iowa caucus, former Mayor Pete Buttigieg still hoping for a, a big night in Iowa. There are new polls out this weekend from Iowa. You have to imagine we'll also hear a lot uh, Tuesday night at the debate about the crisis in Iran this past week and what the candidates have to say about foreign policy. Yeah, I think that'll be an interesting line to watch how they react, how each of them have a very different perspective towards that. At least that's been apparent so far. Um, glad to see the size of the group shrinking so we can have a little more meaningful kind of uh, assessment of individual candidates. What kind of a moment is this for the candidates? Uh, Pete Buttigieg, former VP Joe Biden, especially with so many uh, really, uh, really critical foreign policy items in the news. Well, I think, first of all, we're getting close to Iowa and New Hampshire. I think the minor league candidates have, have kind of floated away through their own mistakes or just not attracting enough uh, support. And so the real serious people are on board now. And as, as Trump ramps up his rhetoric and his action against Iran, you're right, it, does, it moves foreign policy to the front of the agenda when usually in presidential politics, domestic policy is in the front. Uh, what do you guys make of the president's uh, handling of the situation this past week, everything that we've seen in the news? I mean, I, I just wonder what their strategy is regarding the Middle East. We saw that there were strikes and we saw that there were uh, protests in Iran and in Iraq and the support was coming down. You go in and you take out another country's leader. What about national, international law, due process? I think he took an extreme measure. I find it to be very reckless and now you see the Iranian people out in protest and there's a new sense of nationalism that's out. I also think that we're grossly misunderstanding the global situation because there are countries that also have a lot of people that spread that have their allegiance to Iran like Bahrain and in Pakistan so this is not just limited to Iran and Iraq but you can see this ripple across the world and that's dangerous. Tony I, I imagine you some of the president's supporters view this differently what, what did you make of everything we saw and in Congress uh, with the House voting this past Completely week? differently and that leader as you call him is a known terrorist and hey, was, hey. was designated a terrorist back in 2005 I think it was by, by the President uh, George W. Bush administration. He's killed uh, U.S. troops in the conflict, uh, the war there in Iraq. Um, uh, Nawaz Hamid is a name that nobody probably knows. That was the American uh, uh, interpreter. People want to say contractor. He was, he was part of the, the mission there. He was born in Iraq. He became a U.S. naturalized citizen in 2017. Had two sons, eight and two years old, killed. That's why we struck and killed this terrorist. And people need to remember that. He's killed uh, 1,500 people uh, in Iran, his own citizens recently, um, and caused uh, murders and, and, and deaths throughout the region for years and years, for decades. So he needed to be taken out. But there's a middle ground here, which I don't think anybody's talking about. And that is, I think President Trump had absolute right to take out a known terrorist. And you don't have time to consult with Congress about that. You gotta do it when the opportunity arises. But at the same time, Congress is right, and it's not just a right, it's a duty to oversee the acts of war through the War's Power, Powers Act can't just be wished away. And every Republican, Democrat or Republican, hates to deal with Congress, and so they try to ignore the War's Power Act. 
Um, Mike Lee, you know, he flip-flopped yesterday. He was, you know, mad at the Trump administration, and then all of a sudden he flips around, and all of a sudden he's happy with them. Well, it's, it's, you just, Congress has a, a, an obligation to oversee that part of foreign policy, and they're not doing it. Raymond. I, I just wanted to go back and say that I think we can all agree that Soleimani was a terrorist and that Soleimani was not a good guy. But I do think that the measures that the president took were extreme. And I think he did have to consult Congress, and he did not do that. There were no, other no, measures he, did, he, he didn't could have, have to taken. consult Congress. This wasn't a, 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 a declaration of war. Then he would have. You're absolutely okay. right. But we'll we'll certainly talk much more about it in the weeks to come. And of course, also on the impeachment front, you've got potentially the articles of impeachment going to the Senate next week. All right, up next, a new era at IMS. Stick around. We'll be right back after this. He's the new owner of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. It's official this week for Roger Penske. Tuesday, he met with state and city officials to celebrate. We're going to spend several million here in the next, what, three and a half months. We can only do so much. But I can tell you, walking around, I just was truly impressed, you know, with the asset. But uh, this is amazing. All right, you can see more of that interview on our website. Stick around. We're back to wrap things up right after this. All right, time for this week's winners and losers. Tony, I'll start with you. My winners for the week are President Trump, because I think his actions were bold and decisive in what he did with uh, the Iran situation, and also some local friends, Ricky and Linda Eicholtz, owners of Ike and Jonesy's, which closed after some 30 years at the end of 2019, and they've provided a lot of fun for tourism and uh, for tourists and, no and folks local. Rima. I think the, the winner for this week is our legislators that filed bills, especially those that filed bills to make it possible for women to achieve economic stability. And we are all losers when we talk about war. Mike? Uh, winner, one of the winners has to be Doug Hutzinger, the new uh, drug czar for Holcomb, toughest job in Indiana. And then Mike Lee is both a winner and a loser because he flip-flopped on the War's Power Act, War Powers Act. Marion? Uh, winner, Hillary Clinton. Uh, she just came through a DOJ uh, investigation of two years. What did they find? Nothing. Witch hunt. Um, and then the loser will be the uh, American public, because we still like a really good explanation of the All actions right. in Iran. We'll leave it there. We'll see you again next Sunday in Focus. A few more minutes to chat here on the podcast with Marianne Sullivan, Mike Murphy, Rima Shaheed, Tony Samuel. Uh, this really was quite a week. We talked a little bit about it there. Um, Iran, obviously still talk of impeachment in Washington, but things really reached a new temperature there in the nation's capital and across the country, people concerned about what was happening. Yeah. I think it's really frustrating to kind of have a constantly evolving and shifting story and be told as a citizen the, the equivalent of don't worry your pretty little head about this, trust us. And so I'm looking for more detail about this decision um, and I, I think that that's owed to the American public. The president tweeted Tuesday night, all is well. Yes. Yeah. Is all well? It's, it's not all well, but I think it's better because Soleimani is, is a dead man, frankly. What bothers me this week is the rhetoric going on, and sometimes it's, frankly, between Republicans, on if you question anything, you're a traitor. Well, our democracy demands questioning. Our democracy demands congressional oversight of what the president does, whether he likes it or not. And I haven't seen anybody... Republican or Democrat in this process that I would call a traitor. Frankly. What about the way Indiana lawmakers responded to this, mostly really along party lines? Yeah, I think that they've all responded pretty well along party lines, so no surprise there, but I don't think all is well at all. Missiles are being shot, planes are coming down, there's outrage, and we, we have no clear answers. 
Here's the problem. When we um, make equivalent what um, President Trump's actions were and um, what anyone wants to say opposed to him on every issue, then when you have a situation that's very serious and President Trump do, does what's best for U.S. interests and other interests in the region, but you have this strategy that no matter what, Trump's wrong, then you get more uh, divisiveness. There, th th what he did, um, you can argue a hundred different ways was the right thing. But when, when the other side, the far left, wants to make the case that, um, that, that he's wrong to do it because he's Trump, then you have a situation where you see folks in the national media defending Iran, defending a, tr a terrorist, making him sound like he's, uh, you know, somebody just because um, folks there that, that backed the regime were uh, protesting doesn't mean all Iranians were. Was there were plenty of Iranians that were demonstrating weeks before against the regime, and they were not out there in support of Soleimani after his death. Was that a difficult line for Democrats to walk this week, perhaps uh, speaking out vocally against the president's actions yeah. while also saying, yes, this is yeah, a, a so. bad guy? When you don't know all of the facts, um, it's not usually a good idea to jump to conclusions and, and, and make your determination. But that's part of the frustration, is we lack enough actual facts. And what we are told keeps kind of shifting. The definition's different, what is imminent, what, you know. So there's just not enough kind of solid information for people to f even formulate where they are on these issues. What, Mike, well, real but, quick. Well, I think, once again, there's a middle ground. And with all due respect to what Tony just said, the, one of the problems is with believing what's going on, and I, and I do think the president did the right thing, but one of the problems with believing what's going on, the reasoning is nobody's answering questions. The president has given just today, or on Friday I should say, three or four different versions within four hours of what the reasoning was, and then Pompeo comes out and says, well, we, we, we weren't really clear on what was happening, but we knew something was happening, which contradicts the president. And then you have the president who, through his own self-destructive behavior over the last three years, you never know when the man is telling the truth. And so when something important does come up like this, where you want to believe the president, you, your human reaction is, oh, I don't know. I don't know. Is that true? Is it not true? What's he saying? I mean, But I also wonder, is it best for America and for our allies to pull out of the nuclear deal? Is that putting Americans first? Is that putting our national interests first? Also tweeting about hitting and targeting their cultural sites, that goes against international treaties. And so does that, again, it seems very irrational, erratic, and, and we're just not sure what's going to happen. What do you think we'll see here in the week ahead, uh, not just on this issue, but you also have the impeachment articles now going over to uh, the Senate, presumably sometime early next week, and here locally, uh, state of the state address. Uh, what, what are you expecting here in the week to come, well, Tony? It'll be another crazy busy week, <laughs> just like they all are. Lots um, to talk about, no doubt about yeah, that. Yeah. Well, on impeachment, um, yeah, I think um, I, it sounds like Nancy Pelosi is finally going to send the articles over. Uh, if there's a trial, it'll be a fair trial. Um, they've already tried it and, and brought witnesses forth in the House, so I don't think you'll have new witnesses. If you do open up uh, to new witnesses, then you'll be looking for Joe Biden. John Bolton and, says and he'll come if he's subpoenaed. Sure, you might have Bolton, you might have Hunter Biden, and you, you might have Adam Schiff. I mean, that, that'll be fun for us, I think. But my concern is, I mean, 
you know, it'd be easy for me to say and make a couple of jokes about the roller coaster expectations in the next week or two, but we have 1,200 Hoosier soldiers mm -hmm. in the Middle East right now, 650 of them sitting on a base in Iraq. You and I both have friends over there. I'm sure you have friends there too. And their safety is less sure today than it was a week ago, and I hate to see that. Well, I disagree. Here's the thing that we're not, and, and you're not hearing this in the national media, except on a few channels. This has been going on for 40 years. The revolution happened about 40 years ago. They took Americans hostage for 452 days or something mm -hmm. like that, 52 hostages. Uh, there's been a constant uh, uh, funding of terrorism from Iran and, and Yemen now, uh, and, and Syria and Lebanon, uh, and the West Bank. This is, a lot of it is uh, Soleimani was, was the force that, that headed that up. Uh, you, you shot down an American drone not too long ago. You, 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 shot, uh, you shot up, a, you blew up a Saudi uh, tanker. You, you took Americans prisoners uh, when Obama uh, was, was uh, president. You bombed tankers. This is a pattern. We're acting like you, you killed the, the uh, American that I just mentioned uh, on, the, on the TV segment. This is not like, oh, Trump just started this. This is something that needed to happen to show force and to bring peace and make those, our, our, our military safer, make this country safer, and make the region safer. It's not a done deal yet, but, but you know, no uh, it's, a, it's a better um, show of uh, strength from our president than we've had in the past. No doubt there'll be a lot of debate about this uh, as uh, the situation continues there, a lot of debate about uh, whether this escalated things and to what degree. Uh, I also, just because it's been such a busy news week, what else are we missing? What else is going on out there, uh, not getting a lot of attention, state or national level, uh, that you think we might be hearing about in the, in the days and weeks to come? Well, we continue to roll back basic protections on the environment. And, you know, some of these things that are happening, that are still happening, um, kind of running in the background, it's never really stopped um, from this administration, but construction, standards for um, environmental um, concerns are, are being rolled back. Um, you know, we, we're in a, in a world where everyone is increasingly aware and concerned about how fragile this place is, and yet we continue to go with this reckless, again, reckless, that seems to be a word that's used a lot. Um, you know, strategy rather than moving in the exact opposite direction. What else are you guys watching for, especially at the state What level keeps me up at night year? right now is wondering where the heck are all of Marianne Williamson's <laughs> supporters going to go next? I mean, she she had the most momentum the campaign. She dropped out. Yeah, so she are they going to, you know, all 10 of them going to go to Biden or all 10 of them going to go to, you know, Warren? I mean, They're going on retreat. It's going to keep me up all night for a while. What kind of a debate will this be for, for Mayor Pete Buttigieg here in the coming days? Uh, former Mayor Pete Buttigieg, uh, as he continues to really kind of put a lot of his chips uh, on Iowa there, trying to, trying to look for a big showing there in yeah, the first caucus. I think caucus. he's been really consistent. There's sort of, when I hear a lot of people who are kind of winning, he's winning over, um, it, it's sort of his calmness as a contrast to um, a lot of the bluster of some other candidates, um, a lot of the bluster from the White House. And I think that um, Americans are ready for more stability. They're ready for more um, thoughtfulness, 
but um, they also want someone who has confidence to be a leader. You're also going to have, um, for the former mayor and the former vice president, Joe Biden, perhaps having Iowa to themselves a little bit here if the impeachment trial does indeed take place here over the next couple yeah, of weeks. Yeah, I think before, that, that could make a difference. That could definitely All at make the a same difference. time, uh, Bernie Sanders is still hanging around in the polls, too. He is. I, I actually think um, the, the more candidates that have dropped out uh, has benefited Bernie. Um, I also think this is going to stay close through Iowa, New Hampshire, South Carolina, Nevada, and, and, and probably Super Tuesday as well. I'm looking at a, at a, a contested convention, a, a convention that doesn't have a clear winner. You think we might see that in the midst of everything else going on in politics? There's a lot going on. I mean, for me, it's a little disappointing that the, that the field has gotten less diverse and that there's less women. I was really happy and excited when we started this race, when there's so many people of color, and that's sort of dwindled down. So that's definitely a disappointment. Politico did an article last week about how Iowa matters less than ever before. The number of days of visits by each of the candidates is far less than it was four years or eight years or 12 years ago, first of all. Um, second of all, um, Buttigieg seems to be doing well, but, and I agree, he's calm, he's the smartest guy in the field, there's the smartest person in the field, there's no doubt about that. But the problem is he still has not solved his African-American problem. They're going to Biden. The Latinos are going to Sanders, if I remember correctly. And uh, he's in the and the millennials don't like him. So you, you, there's only so many white farmers that can vote for you. The more in the times Democratic you primary. repeat that uh, campaign blurb for other campaigns, Mike, probably the better it gets. But well, I'm, I'm uh, I think there is a very concerted campaign to promote that as. Well, tell product. that to the Washington Post, the mm -hmm. New York Times, Politico, and the Wall Street Journal, because they're all repeating the same thing. Same thing. Why does he have an issue with millennials? He is a millennial. They I think have my theories. They think he's a Republican. Totally they think he's yeah, a Republican. They don't trust him, and they they felt the burn right last time, and they're still that. But they, he yeah. was a. They don't like the fact that he was a military officer. They don't like the fact that he worked for McKinsey, which is seen as the great establishment consulting firm in America, or one of the great establishment consulting firms in America. The millennials have not come to the point where they do trust him. I guess the good thing for Buttigieg is only 16% of the millennials voted in 2016, so they don't exactly vote with their back their voice up with their vote. Maybe we should ask one. As a millennial, <laughs> as a millennial, yeah. I have been voting since I was 18 years old. Well, that's good. I well, take voting very the, seriously. You're one of the 16% then. I take voting very seriously, and I actually encourage my fellow boomers and, and other generations to also take part in this activity that my fellow millennials take very seriously. Yes. And I have not, to okay be very boomer? honest. That, not okay boomer, right? yes. Yeah, right, right. And <laughs> I honestly have not heard from my other fellow millennials any of the criticism that you have shared today. Do you like Buttigieg? Um, right now, I am just focused on having a single candidate to bring stability, much-needed stability to our country. <laughs> I did want to, to, to your earlier point, and to Mike's point, I don't think Buttigieg is the smartest of the field. I think Andrew Yang might be, uh, and 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 that would bring diversity, but also the other woman that's out there, Tulsi Gabbard. I think those two, Yang and Gab Gabbard, are the best of the field, and they're locked they're out. They're kind of the, of the yin and the yang, I would I say. Just, <laughs> I'm looking forward to, um, to Representative Tulsi finally coming out as a Republican, yes. and I think that's going to happen any day <laughs> now. Right. That's why Tony too. likes you so much, huh? <laughs> All right, we're going to leave it there. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you again next week with a lot more to talk about, including the governor's State of the State address. Take care.